Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. The Bears sleepwalk through the 49ers as they face a Week 17 dilemma, to start or not to start. Plus, I get you all caught up on NFL Week 16. It's all coming at you on Bear With Me. Hey everybody, Merry Christmas and welcome to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears-specific review and preview show where we review the game that just happened, preview the game coming up, and get you, the listener, caught up on all the rest of the NFL's games that happened while the Bears were playing. I'm your host, Robert Schmitz, on the brand new Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel, and before we dive into all the content that I've got for you, I will let you know that it really helps me, Lester, and everybody else that's involved with the Bears podcasting channel on Windy City Gridiron if you subscribe or give us a rating of any kind on whatever it is that you're listening to us on. Whether you're listening on the Windy City Gridiron site itself, or iTunes, or Spotify, or any of the other vehicles that carry our show, a rating, a subscription, anything helps. Plus, it lets us know that we're doing well and can keep it up. But enough of all that. I know why you're here. So let's dive into the Bears game against the 49ers and go over all the weirdness that happened in this one. So I don't know about you, but when I was watching this game, I kept going back and forth as to whether it mattered or not. So the Bears, for those of you who don't know, claimed the NFC North last week and therefore locked up a playoff spot, whether the three seed or the four seed. We knew that the Saints and the Rams were ahead of us. And after the Saints won their game against the Panthers, we knew that they were locked in for their number one spot. So that just left the Rams, who needed to lose two of their three remaining games against the Eagles, the Cardinals, or the 49ers. Well, they lost the Eagles, meaning that suddenly the Bears' hopes for a two-seed were actually in play. They just needed to lose, like we said earlier, to the Cardinals or the 49ers, but they thumped the Cardinals this last week. And you could honestly tell during Bears-Niners that the Rams were walking away with their victory against the Cardinals perfectly fine. So that meant that as this game went on and various Bears players got injured, namely Akeem Hicks, Kyle Fuller, and Allen Robinson, suddenly this victory started to feel like it mattered less and less and less. At least that's certainly how I felt. With that said, it was still a Bears football game, so let's review what they did well, what they did poorly, and, you know, everything else that goes along with it. So, your number one goal in a football game is to win, and the Bears did that. No, they didn't play well offensively. It wasn't Rams bad, but it certainly wasn't the week before good against the Packers either, but this doesn't change the fact that the Bears are now 8-1 and since their loss to the Pats, and they're 7-0 and during Trubisky's starts during that time frame. When you keep in mind the fact that superstar Khalil Mack was hurt in their two losses before that, it's pretty crazy to realize that the only loss on their calendar where either Trubisky or Mack wasn't hurt was that loss to the Packers in week one. This team has come a long way and continued to improve week over week over week as they've gelled together under coach Matt Nagy, and that's pretty cool. That said, 
You heard me just break a big taboo of mine. I've gone and brought up health. Now that it's out in the open, we might as well just dive into it. The Bears have been remarkably, if not shockingly, healthy this year. While multiple other teams have lost big defensive superstars, perennial pro bowlers, or, dare I say it, starting quarterbacks to career and season-ending injuries in some cases, the Bears really have only lost starters for a couple of games here and there. Mack missed two, Trubisky missed two, Robinson missed a couple of games, and aside from that, we've had some serious health all across the board. But... This game, in particular, in my opinion, showed just how much every single starter matters. So we were really only missing one guy, right? Eddie Jackson, who I don't know if y'all have picked up on this, but I do think he's one of the most important players on this Bears defense. That said, we saw just how much this team needs him this week and when we saw Amos fail to range over and cover the sidelines on Nick Mullins' late first half 23-yard gain to Trent Taylor. I know this is a very specific play to pick out, but I think it's an important one to note because it's one that we've seen teams run on us and we run on teams all the time. The important part of the play to note is that the offensive team attempts to get one of its receivers wide open along the sidelines for a quick 20 to 30 yard pickup in a time sensitive situation like the end of one of your halves. In this case, it was the end of the first half. And Eddie Jackson has had such an insane range that usually he's able to deny anything in his territory on either side of the field. He reacts lightning fast and is often able to pick off passes, but at the very least make them much harder to catch if not outright defense them when a quarterback attempts to make that long diagonal throw onto either sidelines. But in this case, filling that spot was Adrian Amos, and he didn't get there. You can tell that there's a hesitation from Amos when the throw goes there as he's got to check whether or not he needs to dart over. Then his feet start moving, and he gets there in time to push him out of bounds, Trent Taylor, but not fast enough to deny the play. This took the 49ers from about their 35 down to the 13-yard line and really helped them set up that Robbie Gould field goal late in the game. Now, I think this is critical to point out. Because aside from this drive, the 49ers were only able to muster six offensive points all day. That means that, and I know I'm kind of manipulating numbers here, the 49ers picked up 50% extra bonus offensive production purely because the starting free safety wasn't there on one play. Every single player in this defense matters. And they matter critically, especially when you're talking a pro bowler like Eddie Jackson. Now you might be wondering, Robert, why are you bothering to talk about one guy, Eddie Jackson, in a game that we won where he didn't play? Well, here's why. Throughout this game, a whole bunch of Bears players got hurt in some form or fashion. Many of them returned to the game, but we saw the likes of Allen Robinson, Akeem Hicks, Kyle Fuller, and Craven LeBlanc even broke his finger uh, hurt throughout this game. Akeem Hicks and Kyle Fuller, if you weren't aware, are going to the Pro Bowl. And so to see them get hurt in a game that really doesn't matter outside of anything other than record and pride, that, that stung. And it freaks me out when it comes to the Vikings game coming up because I believe that going into the playoffs, even if it's just for the first week, we need everybody there 
to have somebody get hurt in one of these last two weeks would be such a dumb thing. It would be such a bad move that I don't think it's worth playing the majority of the Bears All-Stars in the Bears' upcoming game against the Vikings. But anyways, we'll talk a lot more about that in the Bears-Vikings preview section. For now, let's get back to the Bears playing the 49ers. The defense shut the Niners down and really didn't leave them much to work with. Both teams suffered injuries, certainly the 49ers on the offensive side of the ball and the Bears on the defensive side of the ball. And when Dante Pettis went down with a big injury for the 49ers receiving core, it felt like they just didn't have enough weapons to attack the Bears offense. Nick Mullins stood in the pocket and delivered the ball with as much poise as he could. But ultimately, the 49ers just couldn't muster up enough offensively to really make a dent in the Bears defense. The Bears defense was just flat out better. A great play example of this was with about six and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Uh, the Bears had just fumbled, and this was going to be the 49ers' best chance if they were going to get one all game to really build a lead and attack this Bears team. Mullins is in the red zone, and Floyd and Mack come through on the rush, but Mullins steps out to his left and actually avoids these two, looking in the end zone for George Kittle, who's covered beautifully by Adrian Amos. The Bears just have too many names, too many quality players, even with Jackson out, to let this 49er offense score on them. And the Bears' defense's dominance of that 49er offense allowed our offense to sputter as much as they had to before they finally found their footing and scored enough points, only 14 in this case, to come away with the win in Levi Stadium. You know, despite only scoring 14 points, I actually thought Chicago's offense played pretty well all throughout the course of this game. Jordan Howard had some big runs. Well, big in his case, meaning that he was punching him out like between six and nine yards. Trubisky had some big throws, certainly one really awesome throw to Allen Robinson, who hauled it in for 43 yards, and he generally made good decisions all throughout the course of the game. Now, this, of course, excludes various things, like his throw to Tariq Cohen, which was more of a lateral, but either way, it really wasn't very well executed. And, of course, also that interception that he threw into the end zone targeting Allen Robinson that was called back due to defensive holding. Now, I've had multiple people, fans and, and not fans, that have told me that it's pretty clear that Trubisky saw the flag and threw the pass into the end zone, knowing that he had a free play. And if he did that, that's great. It's a little bit risky, but I am glad he's testing the boundaries of what the rules will let him and won't let him do. Me personally, if my quarterback sees a flag, I don't think he should just assume that it's a defensive flag. I mean, don't throw an interception. If you're going to throw it out of bounds or throw one that only your guy can catch, sure. But maybe don't throw an interception. That said... I'll give Trubisky the benefit of the doubt on that one. The play to Cohen, on the other hand, was a disaster, both from Cohen's front and from Trubisky's. Trubisky should know on a trick play like that not to throw the ball to Cohen, who isn't open anymore, and Cohen should be able to catch that football and just go down. He short-armed it, and you can tell he was probably trying to pluck the ball out of the air and keep enough space between him and the guys in front of him to try and maybe make a move, squeeze out some yardage. But that said, when you drop that football, it is a fumble and live. It's not the same rules as an incomplete pass, and you've got to come down with it. Now, with this play, I don't mean to be Mr. Excuses, but I'm actually just going to chalk it up to Nagy probably not having run that play enough during practice and certainly not having drilled it into these guys' head that, hey, if this trick play is not open, don't try to make it happen. Trubisky, throw the ball out of bounds. Just chuck it anywhere else. Uh, Cohen, if it does come to you, catch it, fall down. 
You see this stuff actually happen with a whole lot of running back passes or wide receiver passes that they're going to throw the ball. The Matt Forte, I remember, in a playoff game against the Seahawks, threw one of the worst interceptions I have ever seen thrown to a guy who was absolutely covered because he had the ball in his hands. When a player gets the opportunity to do something special, like a wide receiver throwing a touchdown, they're going to try. So ultimately, I guess I'm glad that we had this happen during this 49ers game, that win-lose didn't really matter. But in the playoffs, this stuff cannot happen. We cannot have these trick plays like Tariq Cohen's fumbled handoff with Jordan Howard last week. They keep resulting in turnovers. They're unacceptable. We've got to cut it out. But hey, outside of that, the offense did pretty well. Trubisky played great. Dude completed 25 of 29 passes for 246 yards and an air net yard average of 9.17 yards per pass traveled. That's pretty good quarterbacking. Not to mention, he had another one of those phenomenal plays where he evades pressure, in this case running off to his left before scampering back to his right and completing a throw way downfield to Taquan Mazel for about 17-18 yards. He's clearly developing as a quarterback, and plays like the one that he had to Cohen are going to happen where he just doesn't know the offense very well, he doesn't really know the risks very well, and he runs the play that his coach has told him to run without really thinking about what it means for the ball. He's developing as an NFL passer, he's doing his best, and it's really cool to see. I'm excited to see, assuming that he plays against the Vikings, what he's going to do, because this will be his now fourth time facing this defense, second time with his new offense, and I like to think that he'll play better than he did last time. We've continued to see growth every time Trubisky faces a team he's already faced. We see growth, frankly, every week, and suffice to say, it is a welcome sight with the playoffs looming. I really believe this Bears offense is eventually going to have to win a game outright for this team in the playoffs, so I'm really hoping Trubisky continues to develop and develop fast as we push towards playoff season. I want to quickly go ahead and note before we move on to previewing the Vikings game and everything about it, uh, two guys, one who's not getting enough attention for positive reasons and one who may or may not really be getting enough attention for negative reasons. So as much as Cody Parkey may have supposedly fixed his kicking issues, the Bears game against the 49ers saw Parkey miss again from only 37 yards wide right. And and that's really troublesome to see. Kind of reminded everybody of the four posts that he hit earlier in the year and the other couple of missed kicks that he had all throughout the season. I don't know. Bums me out to see him miss one. Reminds me that he very well may cost us a playoff game and I'm very curious as to what Ryan Pace is going to do about him during the offseason because there's a pretty good chunk of money committed to him for this year and next year but his kicking has been downright unacceptable and I hope I'm not going too far in saying that. Another guy that I think is the true unsung hero of this Bears defense and has been killing it every single week has been Danny Trevathan, and it was really fun seeing him collect an interception because of it. As the Mike linebacker, he has to coordinate the Bears defense, who's going to be where, He's done a phenomenal job making these calls. Similar to a center, his brain and his ability to put people in the right place is just as critical to the Bears' defense as his ability to man his position himself. The difference is, his brain doesn't show up on the stat sheet the way that somebody like Roquan Smith playing the weak inside position will show up on the stat sheet. 
Roquan's going to be the guy who gets the most tackles because Trevathan's job is generally to fill a blocker spot while Roquan gets isolated one-on-one with a guy. But nevertheless, I've been impressed with the sheer amount of tackles and plays that Trevathan's been involved in. You see 59 flying around week in, week out, all over the defense. To see him, like I said earlier, catch a deflected pick seemed like just desserts in this 11th win of the Bears season. Thank you, Danny, for everything you're doing. You're a big part of the defense as it is. Moving on now to the preview of Bears-Vikings, I find it really hard to talk about what I think this game is going to look like because I really have no idea who's going to play and who's not going to play. I understand that Nagy is saying that all the starters are going to be playing, and I applaud him for it, but I think that there's no other thing he could say. Whether or not he starts the first string on both offense and defense, I think he's got to at least challenge Minnesota to game plan for absolutely everything that the Bears have because if they don't win they're out of the playoffs. This means that the Bears could challenge Mike Zimmer and the rest of the Vikings staff to bring their A game and show their A cards against the Bears even if the Bears let's say didn't start anybody and force the Vikings to beat them with everything they had and then play them again next week in Soldier Field. I actually think that the Philadelphia Eagles are a much more dangerous team when it comes to facing the Bears, and certainly the Seattle Seahawks would pose a bigger threat against the Bears than the Vikings would, but they should lock up the five seed with a win at home over the Cardinals. Thus meaning that if the Bears, by hook or by crook, allow the Vikings to win, they're probably going to see them again at Soldier Field, where, just as a reminder for everybody, the Vikings scored six points before they threw a pick six that ended up losing them the game outright. Given the injuries that we saw to Kyle Fuller, Akeem Hicks, Allen Robinson, and plenty of others, certainly like Eddie Jackson, I actually think it's best if we sit the entire first string defense and allow the first string offense, Sands Robinson, to play out the Vikings game. This will allow the second string defense to gain much needed depth and experience for a playoff run, and it'll keep the offense running and humming because a bad defense doesn't change the fact that the Bears offense would still need to play well and therefore be able to keep up their momentum. Of course, this means that we would risk some players on the offense, but we've seen how poorly they can play when they get out of rhythm based on too much time off, like with their loss to the Dolphins, their loss to the Packers after preseason weeks off, and their loss to the Giants after their quote-unquote mini-buy following the second Detroit game. This, of course, would mean that the Vikings would have to do what is extraordinarily hard for any NFL team to do, and that's beat a team that is better than them two weeks in a row, once at your place, once at their place. I don't think these Vikings are good enough, certainly not with Captain Spotlight Kirk Cousins at the helm, to beat this Bears team both in their house and at our house. In fact, if the Bears went with what I'm suggesting, starting that first string offense without Robinson and the second string defense, I actually think they still have an outside shot of beating the Vikings anyways just due to Kirk Cousins' primetime woes. I also think that second string defense or not, we'd be able to gain a lot of valuable information as to what the Vikings' defense was going to do to our offense and what the Vikings offense was planning to do to our defense so that the preceding week we'd be able to employ schemes to counter whatever it is they were doing. I mean, after all, the Vikings still have to win this game despite who the Bears start. Overall, I think that this plan, while a little unique and certainly maybe overthinking it a little bit, would help the Bears avoid the awful situation where they have to beat the same team, a divisional rival, three times in one year. I think that's really hard anytime a team is good enough to make the playoffs at all. So 
if the Bears certainly throw out enough players to make sure that this game, quote-unquote, doesn't count, the Bears will only have to beat the Vikings twice with their full complement of teammates, and one game is a toss-up based on who Nagy decides to and not to play. Again, I think beating a team as good as the Vikings, even though they're not great, three times in one season, once at our house, once at their house, and once again at our house, is really, really hard. So whatever the Bears can do to avoid putting themselves in that bind would be ideal. Plus, anything that allows the Bears to go into the playoffs despite who they're playing with a full complement of defensive players and as many offensive players as possible is going to be exactly what the Bears need when playoffs start. We need our best players. We have five pro bowlers for a reason, and making sure all five of them take the field as many times as possible during playoff season, I believe, is critical. An extra week of rest goes a long, long way. That's part of why these number one and number two seeds get fought for so hard. But if we can make week 17 our mini-buy, so to speak, I think that would be ideal. But for the sake of an honest preview and comparison, let's go ahead and assume that the Bears and the Vikings both bring their full complement of starters and fully attempt to win this football game. The big difference between the Vikings at home versus away is that they're usually able to run the ball a lot better according to their home away splits while they're in their own building. They run at about 4.6 yards per carry while at home versus 3.7 yards per carry away. And the trouble is the Bears were able to absolutely flatten their running attack last time they played, so I don't think that the Vikings are going to really be able to improve too much from their 1.6 yard per carry average that they had last time, and that includes a 5-yard Cousins scramble. Kirk Cousins is more or less the same player at home versus away, uh, throwing at 71.3% completion percentage and a quarterback rating of 100.5 versus away. He's 101.2 QBR with a 70.2 completion percentage. Of course, there's more that we could go into that. He actually has less yards at home than he does away. But the point is, is that I think that the Vikings have faced slightly worse teams and really only done about as well as they've done facing all the other teams that they've faced on the road. Undoubtedly, the best competition that the Vikings have faced has come from the Saints, who were able to win 30-20 to in the Vikings building. From there, the Vikings have only barely edged out the Packers, and they've fought a competitive game with the Lions. And after that, there's really not a whole lot of good teams that have visited Minnesota that we really have to stack up with. The other four remaining teams on that Vikings home schedule have been the Bills, who won, the 49ers, the Cardinals, and the Dolphins. So not really a ton that we can draw from how they play at home, but it hasn't really been phenomenal. They're not a Bears team where they give up a ton more points than they do on the road, you know, generally speaking, than they do at home where they're an absolute lockbox. So I think that the Bears will actually be able to carry most of their skill into Minnesota should they decide to try. If you ask me, I'm predicting this as a 23 to 21 Bears victory if they attempt to win versus a 14 to 27 win if they go with the starting and sitting plan that I recommended earlier. I just don't think Cousins will be able to score enough points against a really good Bears defense. I gave them 21 points in a competitive game because I think that they're going to bring absolutely everything that they have, and I really don't know what that looks like. But I do think that the two-ish point margin of victory is about right, given that I can't trust, even as a fan, this Bears offense against what I think is a really good Vikings defense any more than I can trust the Vikings offense against what I know is a really, really good Bears defense. If the Bears defense doesn't score some points 
of their own. I see this one remaining close unless Trubisky and the rest of the guys in the razzle-dazzle offense decide to blow the doors off our expectations and score just a ton of points in a big, big win over the Vikings. But yeah, I'm going to go 23-21 Bears if they try, 14-27 Vikings if they don't. And there you have it, folks. That's the preview that I've got for you today. Next up is our NFL Roundup section, where I'm going to take you through every single game, including those very quirky Saturday games, as well as the Monday night game that's playing right now, and talk about what happened, what are some key takeaways, and generally what does it mean. I'll probably be pretty fast. I don't want to waste anybody's time, and I know you're either listening to this on Christmas or after Christmas, and frankly... I didn't get a ton of time to watch games this week, so I'm going based on highlight packages and other things I know about the teams. But let's get started. The Redskins lost to the Titans in Tennessee 16-25. This was the case of a team that needed to win, taking care of business against a team that, while they wanted to win, they didn't need to win near as badly as the team on the other side of the ball. The big story coming out of this game, besides the fact that Tennessee is probably headed to the playoffs with this win, is that Marcus Mariota did leave the game late with what is listed as a shoulder stinger. So we'll have to monitor how he's doing going forward. But of course, the big key in this one is Derrick Henry, who had 84 yards and a touchdown, leading the Titans on to their win. Uh, Not to mention a pretty solid performance from a pretty solid Titans defense. Titans are a weird one because they're only okay, but they're kind of okay at more or less everything. Moving on, we have the Ravens upsetting the Chargers in L.A., which was crazy to me because I know every time I watch the Ravens, I keep seeing this Lamar Jackson kooky offense that they've got where pretty much every play is a read option. Pretty much every play involves a quarterback run option, but it's it's working for them, and it's been working for weeks and weeks. I don't know how much I'm a believer in Lamar Jackson as a long-term quarterback, but this year, playoff run, heck, why not buy in? They beat the Chargers. The Chargers are stacked. Kudos to them. That's tough to do. Not to mention the defense is ball in. And I'm all in on good defenses right now. Big win by the Chargers. Next up, the Cowboys took care of business in Dallas against a Buccaneers team that just couldn't quite do enough. I didn't watch this game, but ultimately it seemed like the Cowboys defense helped out an only all right Cowboys offense as they once again took care of business at home, got the win, moved into the playoffs. Kudos to you, Dallas. It's been a weird ride this season. Next up, the Vikings overcame a really, really god-awful first quarter to end up thumping the Lions 27-9. The Vikings actually allowed all nine of these points in the first half before closing the door on their division rival Lions as they ended up putting themselves in that perfect position to control their own destiny. Like we've talked about earlier, they beat the Bears and they're in. So I'm really curious to see how this week's game goes. But good on you, Vikings. You did what you had to do. Following that, the Falcons and the Panthers played a football game. The Falcons won 24-10, but I don't really know much about this, and I don't need to. The Falcons and the Panthers are now 6-9. and nine. Both could have been way better. Both had pieces to be better, and neither was. So we'll move on from there. The Texans, who were red-hot, faced the equally red-hot Eagles, now being led by Super Bowl MVP quarterback Nick Foles, and the Eagles won. Real late, real thrilling. Again, I didn't watch much of this one. I caught what I could, but the Eagles are looking dangerous, and the Texans are looking not so bad themselves. I don't want to face the Eagles. I hope they don't make the playoffs because I see them causing havoc, a la the classic New York Giants kind of way. So 
I hope that whatever happens, they stay out of the playoffs and certainly out of the Bears' way. Next, the Colts, who have been red hot and beating everybody not named the Jaguars, almost lost to the Giants. Boy, did it take a thriller here, but they were down early and they came back late. Kudos to you, Andrew Luck. You just keep balling. The Browns then beat the Bengals in the Baker-Mayfield rivalry game with Hugh Jackson. And don't look now, but the Browns are building a case to be a dangerous, dangerous football team. Many of us before the season knew they were eventually going to be dangerous, but it looks like the time's kind of now. Since Hugh Jackson was fired from the Browns, they've been 5-2 and two under Greg Williams. And I don't think that's some kind of Greg Williams magic. That said, it is sort of funny to note that the Bengals, despite the fact that they usually collapse mid season have been really really awful since starting five and three and then hiring Hugh Jackson maybe Hugh's part of the problem who knows the Patriots then took care of business against the Bills 12 to 24 as they locked up their division pop the champagne I guess but honestly I have no idea whether the Patriots even do that anymore given how consistently they win their division Ultimately, the Bills tried their best, but I doubt Josh Allen, rookie as he is, is going to slow down the Patriots machine in December, and he certainly didn't today. Next, the Green Bay Packers struggled mightily against the New York Jets in New York, and Sam Darnold almost stood on his head and by himself took down the Green Bay machine. Uh, with almost no rushing support to speak of, Darnold threw for 341 yards and three TDs in one of the best performances we've seen by a rookie quarterback this year, but it was not enough to overtake a 442-yard performance by Aaron Rodgers. A big overtime winner for them. Kudos. I hope you guys have fun not being in the playoffs. After that, we had the Jaguars beat the Dolphins 17-7 in Miami. Neither of these teams are really going anywhere. They're certainly not going to the playoffs, and frankly, their franchises are kind of in a little bit of a tailspin. So we'll just go ahead and move on from there. The Bears, as we know, beat the 49ers 14-9. Woo! Go Bears! We'll move on. While the Bears game was going on, the Rams thumped the Cardinals 31-9. The Rams got out to a quick 21-9 start, didn't look back, scored 10 more points in the second half, and this one really wasn't a contest. This 3-12 Arizona Cardinals campaign has gone worse than its record states, and I'm, I'm curious to see what they do in the draft to try and rectify it all. The craziest part about this game was that the Rams were actually without Todd Gurley, and it just didn't matter. C.J. Anderson had 167 yards a score on 20 carries in, in Todd Gurley's absence. I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, Jared Goff had one of his less pretty days with only 216 yards to speak of. But hey, that doesn't mean that the Rams are somehow not dangerous going into the playoffs. We'll see how that all goes. The Rams have certainly looked weaker over the last couple of weeks. But I mean, it's the Cardinals. Who's to say they even bothered to really try? The Saints then defended their home turf against the Pittsburgh Steelers, winning 31-28 against the folks from Pittsburgh, as the Steelers are all of a sudden, despite all their talent and midseason woes and early season victories and Le'Veon Bell and all the drama that surrounded it, likely to miss the playoffs. Look, considering all the talent that Pittsburgh has all across their roster, certainly offensively, I think this is insane. I think the Ravens have earned it more than the Steelers have, so I actually prefer if the Ravens keep their spot, but I guess the Steelers might have a chance. Crazy to think that they're likely not going to be able to make the dance. The Saints, on the other hand, just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. This is going to be a fun playoffs, folks. There's a lot of really good teams in the tournament this year. 
Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs then marched into Seattle and got whooped. And this is a close game, 31-28. to But boy, oh boy, did Russell Wilson put on a show. Him and Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett just went absolutely crazy, not to mention Chris Carson has been running it harder and harder and harder and harder every week. I'm really, really, really impressed with what the Seahawks have been doing. It's pretty impressive to me, frankly, that the Bears were able to beat him. I'm glad we got to play him when we did, because in classic Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks fashion, they have pulled it together right at the end of the season. I don't want to play them. I'm glad Dallas has to play them because this team looks hot. The Chiefs are a really good football team. I'm really curious to see how they do in the playoffs because it seems like lately, every time they get into a primetime game, they end up losing really close. So I don't know what that means for the Chiefs in the playoffs, but gosh, does it sound like they're setting up for another classic Kansas City collapse. But who knows? Pat Mahomes may change the entire team's destiny. We'll see, won't we? For the final game of the evening, it looks like Broncos Raiders just wrapped up. I don't know much about this game. It seems like two teams, both bad. One who's given up on the year, the Broncos, and the other that's just playing for pride uh, in the Raiders. But there is one play I want to highlight. If you want to see the difference between quit and grit, go take a look at that 99-yard punt return that the Raiders pulled off. Uh, you can see the Broncos fight the ball down to the one-yard line, and then nobody downs the ball. And I think it's Dwayne Harris, if he's still in the league, picks it up for the Raiders, runs it all the way back the other way. Pretty impressive, frankly, that nobody catches Harris as he scoops the ball up in one of the most dangerous positions in the field he could have, but he takes it back the other way and scores, so kudos to you, man. I guess that's why you're in the NFL. Impressive, to say the least. And that's our show, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Merry Christmas once again, and if it's after Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, or whatever other day it is. I wish you the best. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to me. I know I got a little bit scatterbrained in there, but if you want any more of my thoughts, feel free to DM me about anything. Always happy to talk to you about bears, uh, whatever your question may be. And hey, if it's a really good question, I may just answer it on the air. Hit me up on Twitter at rschmitz28. That's rschmitz28. Uh, I'll also be all over Windy City Gridiron. I generally read the comments on everything. I love hearing what y'all have to say. Let me know about anything, length, topics, what you liked, what you didn't liked. And as always, thanks so much for bearing with me. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems, 
and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. 